This episode of The Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hi, I'm Amy Farley, Senior Editor at Fast Company. We're taking a look at some of our favorite moments from the 2021 Fast Company Innovation Festival. Here's a conversation about going from a corporate gig to entrepreneurial life with Gail Becker, CEO of Collipower, and Alexa Von Tobel, founder of LearnVest and Inspired Capital. Hello, everyone. I'm Stephanie Meva, Editor-in-Chief of Fast Company. Welcome to our special fifth day of the Fast Company Innovation Festival, focused on fast growth. Now, this session is especially relevant to corporate leaders who've made the leap to entrepreneurship, or those of you in the audience who are considering the leap. Now, to help us explore this topic, we've assembled two of my favorite founders. Gail Becker is founder and CEO of Collipower and Vegolutionary Foods. You may best know her for her cauliflower crust pizzas, pastas, chicken tenders, tortillas, and much more. Alexa Von Tobel is founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, which backs early stage founders. Alexa is also the founder of personal finance company LearnVest, which was acquired by Northwestern Mutual in 2015. Welcome, Gail and Alexa. Thanks for having us. Yeah. This is such a big topic. I want to dive right in. Um, so, Gail, you were a broadcast journalist and then an executive at Warner Brothers. You were a very high-ranking group president at Edelman, the global communications firm. So what made you decide to make the leap from corporate life to starting Collipower. You mean how a nice girl like me ended up in the pizza business? Know what you're asking? <laughs> um, to be honest with you, it was it was really a confluence of of three se separate uh, things. One was the passing of my father, who was an immigrant and a and a, a small business owner. And and when he passed, I, I I knew I needed to make a change in my life, but I didn't really know. Uh, what that would look like, uh, you know, two was the realization that, you know, I can't be the only one who thinks 90 minutes is far too long to make a, a, a pizza crust. Um, and three, and, and probably most topical here is my disenchantment with corporate life. I, I had sort of worked my way up the, the proverbial ladder and realized when I got to the top that I didn't really like the view very much. And, you know, and, 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 and so I, I sort of looked around the room and thought there's got to be something more. I, I wanted to do something more meaningful. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I got to a point when I just stopped caring. And I think when you get to a point in your job, in any job, when you, when you stop caring is, is really when you need to look at, take a good hard look at yourself and, and, and what you're doing and, and realize it's probably time to make a change. And, and that was really uh, my motivation. Did the fact that you had stopped caring about your corporate job make the transition any less scary or was it still a huge leap? It was still a huge leap. And in some ways, I think it made it scarier because I had no reason to leave. I had a very good job, one that I had worked really, really hard for. And, you know, maybe even as a, as a senior woman in, in corporate America, uh, maybe, you know, I, I felt some additional pressure that I worked so hard to get where I was there that I knew there was a lot of younger 
women who were sort of looking at me and cheering me on. And, you know, I didn't want to do anything that would crush anyone's, you know, dreams or hopes. Um, But at the end of the day, I realized that this was my shot. This was the one chance in my life that I could actually, you know, do what something that I loved. And, you know, when I was growing up, you know, being an entrepreneur and a founder is a pretty cool thing today. But, you know, when I was growing up and with my two immigrant parents, you know, they wanted me to be like a doctor or a lawyer. And, um, you know, and so being an entrepreneur wasn't, it just was never something that anyone talked to me about. I didn't know that you could, you know, do something that you loved or, you know, you know, chuck it all and, and, and bet it on yourself. It just wasn't something that, I had encountered. And so it was, it's sort of my success in corporate America in some ways made it that much more scary to leave. And and one more quick question before we turn over to Alexa. What was your, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore moment. Was when, once you had started Call of Power or had at least um, decided that you were going to pursue the idea, was there something that you reached for that you would have had access to in your corporate life that you realized, oh, wait, I can't just call HR. I can't just call the Treasury. Yeah, boy, what a good question. It's a really long list. And, you know, I, I, I was spoiled. I had a lot of, you know, people who looked after different parts of my life and different parts of the job. And suddenly I was, you know, thrust into the position of doing everything. And, you know, I realized I can't even make a copy because I don't have a copying machine or uh, I don't know how to scan something or I have to set up a separate phone line on my uh, on my um, uh, phone. And it was all of these little things that you just took for granted, obviously, you know, finance being the most important, but all these little things that I just took for granted in corporate life that basically when you start from literally nothing, you you have to build step by step. But I had a lot of fun doing it, which was, it was the small little challenges and initially that you know, really sort of spurred me on and and thought, okay, it's another small win. It's another small win. It's another step. And I just kept taking those small steps. I want to come back to a bunch of those small steps in a minute, but let me turn to Alexa. Alexa, you had a different kind of unlearning. You started LearnVest. um, You left Harvard Business School to start it. So it was really your baby. You sold it to Northwest Mutual. What were the things that you had to check at the door when you became part of a big corporation? Sure. Um, Well, so I I built LearnVest financial planning software for the masses, got acquired in 2015 by Northwestern Mutual. Um, And the plan was I was going to stay for about three years and help manage an integration. Fast forward, you know, nine months in, a year in, uh, they tapped me on the shoulder and said, we'd actually like you to join the management team of Northwestern Mutual as the you know, chief digital officer of the company. Um, and so it was such a different orientation in that one, they had acquired LearnVest for the software, for the team. It was, you know, think of it as a very big um, uh, sort of talent uh, uh, decision for Northwestern Mutual. And they were at, very actively asking us to come in and keep our entrepreneurial nature, keep our attitude of move fast, break things, um, come in to really be a lightning rod to help 
uh, kick off this major digital transformation of a 163-year-old company that, by the way, is very financially successful and stable. And so what was really interesting is it was the exact inverse, right? They proactively said, don't let us smother you. I remember the CEO, John Schlitsky, who's this wonderful guy, he said to us, please don't let us bear hug you. Please don't let us smother you. The whole point of you being here is that you're supposed to um, push us, make us go faster, change our thinking. And so um, so in short, uh, we were asked to try to stay ourselves as much as humanly possible. As you can imagine, uh, that creates some cultural rub. Um, and so there were there were things over the the following two years when, when I was you know had joined the management team um, that I had to be more thoughtful about. And in so many ways, um, it was a great education for me and how corporate America works. And um, you know, things Gail that you, were so obvious to you that was the first time for me to go and you know be on the management team of a, a Fortune 50 company and. Um, I grew a lot, so it was a great experience. And and so, what were some of those things that were eye opening to you because you'd never experienced them as an entrepreneur? Yes, of course. Um, so, one, there's always the meeting before the meeting, and I always just would find that to be absolutely, you know, maddening. The whole point is to get in the room and have the conversation, and but there was always the like pre-selling of your idea before you kind of walk in. Um, you know, it, it was things. Uh, in so many ways, if you're an extremely big, successful company, and Gail, I'm sure you have the same experience, so much of what makes you really successful, you're now in protection mode because it's so successful, right? Northwestern Mutual is one of the more special companies in, 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 in America. Um, but it was, it was things like really recognizing as a startup, your job is to lean in and break things, to, to unthink about how legal works and think about how it could be better to think about how compliance works. And obviously you never cross the lines of compliance or legal, but you can say, let's innovate in the way that we operate or how we push it. And if you're in a big company, everything almost defaults to know. It's like, we're going to assume that we have to protect. And, and so it was really just managing this default to know. Um, and, and I will say, um, so much of the leadership team there embraced us. They said, teach us, help us think differently. And um, I have to give them so much credit. And even in retrospect, I actually continue in my mind to give them even more credit for how much they really tried to embrace external thinking, you know, how how we wanted to kind of push boundaries. But so I, I would say when you're a big company, you default to no because you have so much to protect, right? A little PR issue matters because you're a big company with perfect reputation. When you're a tiny little company, nobody cares and no one even will even remember because they don't know your brand. It's those sort of things. Um, the last thing I would just say um, was just really thinking about what was possible. Um, you know, you almost take for granted that as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you're constantly imagining what what could be. Um, and it was a, reminding people there that what could be, we have unlimited resources. We have so much money. We can go and let's go dream. Let's go think bigger. And so it was also a lot of not, not things to unlearn. It was also pushing to say, we could do so much more um, with the resources we have here. And so you've boomeranged back to entrepreneurial life. You founded Inspired Capital um, and you invest in early stage companies, but you are yourselves a, a startup. Um, what are the lessons you brought with you to Inspired from Northwestern Mutual? And then what are the things that you're like, oh, this is this is corporate thinking. I need to I need to undo this if I want to be successful at Inspired. 
Yeah. So um, the day I left Northwest Mutual, we stood up and fired capital. We're an early stage venture fund. We actually announced just a day or two ago, our second fund, which is about $300 million. Um, so it's going well. Um, and one thing I will say is I didn't have to unlearn anything when I came back <laughs> because I don't know that I learned so much of what corporate America, I mean, I didn't adopt a lot of the corporate America uh, tools and policy. Um, I, I learned a lot um, about how to be a better leader. And I, I learned a lot about how do you bring people along. And in fact, I was really lucky that um, Northwest Mutual really invested in me and took great care of me to, to make it so that I, I could I could think about how do we move a thousand people into a new mindset, um, which I'll take with me forever. And it probably is effective with little kids too. So I, I'm grateful for it now that I have little kids. Um, the one thing that I will say back on this side of the table is just recognizing that when you're a big business, there is an inertia issue. And it's just, you're moving masses of people. And so I really started to think about how do big corporations stay truly nimble? And like, how did the apples and the alphabets and how do you think like a, a, a small business, even when you're a big one, um, and so for our own businesses, many of which are getting bigger and bigger, just reminding that it's a mentality of we always want to be the best. And as we get bigger, we have to get better. And so recognizing that uh, you don't want to be the incumbent. And I had a, a great CEO, a very public one, say to me the other day, Alexa, we're an incumbent. We're 20 years old. And I was like, that's so true. And that's the sort of mindset that you want to bring to it, even if you're you know, a, a, a startup. But if you're 15, 20 years old, you have your own bad habits that you have to make sure that you get you you, you shed. Um, so that's a little bit of how I've been thinking. Yeah. And I, I want to talk a little bit about what you're seeing in this new cohort of founders and, and people you're backing that might have come from corporate life. But it's interesting you mentioned Alphabet because I, I interviewed um, an entrepreneur named Stephanie Telenius a couple of years ago. She had come from Google and she tells this story about how, you know, at Google, you just don't get up for a project that isn't going to get you 100 million users, right? Like that is the thing that is the starting point. And she said that as an entrepreneur, for her, you can't think that way because if if you immediately set 100 million users as your goal, like for an entrepreneur, it's really hard to get out of bed if that's the motivation. It's such a big goal. And I just wonder, you know, Gail, d does, does that ring true a little bit? Do you feel like, um, you know, having experienced corporate life, having done things at scale, having marketed um, programs for, you know, blockbusters, it, you know, it, it, did you have to sort of say baby steps are okay? Yeah, I, it's a really interesting question. And, you know, particularly when it comes to, to money, because look, I mean, that's why you're in business, right? And when you think about, I'll speak for myself, but I think also true of a lot of founders, we don't always start it for the money, right? For me personally, it was a it was a personal sort of observation that I had come across for my kids, both who have celiac disease. And my insight was, you know what? Gluten-free food has a lot of junk in it. And I sort of waited around for the industry to do something and they never did. So I sort of said, well, I guess I better do it myself. And that was 
my personal incentive. And I wanted to help other families like me. I, I never in a million years thought that the business would be what it what it is today. And, and maybe that's part of the reason, because I think when you have these young companies, there's just so much more motivation besides money. It's how many people can you help? What kind of difference can you make? How can you better the world in some ways? It doesn't mean that we're also not interested in making money. Of course we are. But there are other incentives too that, that are equally as rewarding. As the company grew, I wonder if there was a different kind of unlearning that had to take place, right? You're going from that really, really scrappy early, early stage, and then suddenly you're scaling, and then suddenly, and, and I know you and I talked about this, a pandemic hits, and you can't get product on the shelf. Is there a different skill set you needed to grow into? Because you obviously had the corporate skill set. You taught yourself how to be an entrepreneur, and then you, of course, had some, some role models in your family. But then there's this sort of like fast growth stage. I, is, there a, is there an evolutionary thinking that needs to take place there? Definitely. And I think, you know, many times we learn the hard way, right? Many times I could give you a long list of things that Colleen Power did right and a lot of list of things that we did less than right. And sometimes that's what it took. And, you know, and you sort of say, well, I'm never going to make that mistake again. And I think what you learn is that you need all kinds of people on your team. You need people who are going to be those outside thinkers, who are going to be the sand and the oysters and are going to make you do things differently. But you also need people who know the industry and sort of prevent you from making some of those mistakes. I will say, as it relates to the pandemic specifically, one of the things that I had observed about it, in some ways, it was the great equalizer. Because you know what? Nobody had operated a food business in a pandemic before. Not, not, not Nestle or not Cauliflower. And so it was an interesting level playing field. Now, in many ways, you know, the big guys had a lot of advantage and for sure. But so did we. And I think one of the advantages that we had of being a younger company uh, and more nimble is that we were able to pivot and innovate pretty quickly. And I don't just mean innovate with food products. We innovated in supply chain and the way that we would get product from point A to point B. And, a lot, and as a result, we had an un 98% fill rate, which was virtually unheard of. You know, we were up there with the largest of companies had less fill rates than we did, virtually unheard of. And that's because we were able to think creatively and innovatively and in ways and do things in ways that really hadn't been done. Alexa, what was the moment for you at LearnVest, your first startup, where you realized, I, we're in growth mode and I need to either manage differently as a founder or I need to bring in a different kind of talent? Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. So. As we started to get probably into our third or fourth year, um, I remember just having this really strong intuition and I hired myself an executive coach. Um, nobody had asked for it and nobody um, had said, hey, we recommend this happen. But I had been an athlete my whole life. And I, when you wanted to get better at something, you hired somebody to sit there and watch you, you know, put points on the board and watch you make it, you know, and get better at it. And so it was just a really natural inclination. Um, and what was so phenomenal about that experience was one, it was brutal, right? It was just like very clearly all the things that I could get better at and where my own failings were. And 
I, 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 what came out of it was this concept of L-I-T-T-P, lean into the pain, which was, if you want to get better, <laughs> you want to get better, you have to be ruthlessly clear that a company only scales as much as the founder does. And it was just very clear to me that that was going to be what we needed to do. And what came out of that was just better, better logic for me. It, it, it almost clear, it structured my thinking more clearly. My intuition, I think, was always quite strong, but it structured my my logic on this person's wonderful, but they're not going to scale to the next level. So I need to now go hire two and a half years out and have that person in the seat. And just really helped me continue to not only get better myself, which I think is a big moment for founders when you really recognize that you don't have to have all the answers, nor should you. The world should not expect you to. Um, and the company only scales as, as fast as you can get better. Um, one last kind of concept on that, Stephanie, that I find fascinating and I think it's so true, which is for startups and Gail, you're in it, so you probably appreciate this. It's the only job that a founder is rewarded with a harder job. Yeah. The better you are at your job, the harder the job gets. The complexity goes up. You're managing more people, more lines of business, more complexity. And so it, you literally get rewarded with more pain. Um, and you have to be up for that. And so I was very much so up for that. And as a result, recognized that I have to keep getting better myself if I ever want to stay in this job. This episode of Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. You're in a position now, Alexa, where you are seeing a lot of founders, the ones you back, but also the ones that you meet and decide not to, to, to back. Are there traits of founders who are coming out of bigger organizations. It doesn't have to even be incumbent corporations, but to your point earlier, I mean, you know, Apple, Amazon, these are now big corporations, even though they are, have entrepreneurial roots. Are there would-be founders you meet where you say, those guys can't shake the corporate mentality. They have a good idea. They think they want to be entrepreneurs. They may not be in it for the right reasons. I just wonder if there are times where you meet a founder who's coming out of a big organization and you can just tell they're not going to be able to make the leap. And and, and why is that? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. So one of the great things, um, it is a gift of a founder, is that you actually set the tempo and momentum of a company. You you are setting speed. You're setting the how fast can we do things? How quickly can we go? And there's times when you have to say, we can't go that quickly because there's too much chaos or, you know, too many things have to get improved. Um, and if you're in a bigger corporation, they often um, just have longer cadences, longer timelines. They think in years, they think, and when you're a startup, CEO, founder, you got to think in weeks. And literally, what are we going to accomplish by the end of the week? What are, and, you know, that's why we have standups and what's Friday, what's our deliveries. And often I will trust my instincts on is this somebody who has urgency in their DNA and is going to bring to the table quick decisions? You can always change your decisions, right? You can go right and then decide that you need to go a little bit left. It's okay. But it's it's really a, a tempo of decision-making, of urgency, of can in one day, can you get done with what another organization could get done in three days? Like, can you make magic happen? And I really like founders with the sense of urgency 
founders tend to be impatient, right? They want the future to be here today. And that's a really good muscle. And so um, if you've been in corporate America for a decade, that probably tells you something too. And so, you know, I ask myself, is that entrepreneurial spark, is it authentic? Is it there? And um, trying to get a sense of whether or not I think that that muscle of urgency will be there for the founder. Gail, thinking back to your early days and maybe even still today, what are some of the tools that you deployed? And they could be technology tools, they could be software, they could be life hacks that you used as substitutes for the things that you used to be able to pick up the phone and get? It is a lot of technology, right? So, uh, um, you know, everything from, you know, app. well, it's interesting. One, there was a lot of technology. So lots of apps on the phone, lots of, you know, trying to figure out how to get an 800 number even became a thing. And, you know, how to do our website. You know, I like called GoDaddy every single day. Um, But but aside from that, it's interesting because the food industry in particular also hasn't changed a lot over the years. It's starting to change now, but it's a very traditional um, industry. So some things that I had sort of, you know, relied on technology when I was in corporate America, I sort of had to take a step back because in the world of food, it just, you know, things were done, have been done the same way that they had always been done for the last, I don't know, 30 years. And did you still have to fax stuff in? Yeah, um, I got faxed orders. So I had to actually get a machine that could take faxes because that's how the orders came in. And in fact, I will say still some orders come in via fax. Um, So it is is interesting. Um, But, you know, I think, you know, the... The, the sort of, you know, the biggest thing that you can do, and um, Alexa touched on this as well, is bring in people or, you know, to teach you, to 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 teach you the ways that uh, that some of those things have been done. So um, it, w- it was an interesting, interesting mix. I'd love to talk a little bit about the people that um, advised you and the good advice that you got, but also the advice you didn't listen to. Um, Alexa, I'll start with you. Um, In your new business, Inspired Capital, your partner is Penny Pritzker, the renowned business leader and former Secretary of State. What are some of the things that you've learned from Penny over the years? Um, Well, part of one of the reasons why we went- Secretary of Commerce, excuse me. Yes, no, no, Secretary of Commerce. One of the um, so I met Penny when she was in the White House with President Obama. Um, they picked 10 o- entrepreneurs to become ambassadors for the country. Um, and I was the youngest puppy dog of an entrepreneur compared to everybody else. And we really hit it off. We became friends. And I think just like anything else in life, like authentic relationships, authentic friendships is where magic happens. And we became friends and over the now last eight years had stayed in touch so much that um, she became my mentor um, somebody I would go to because I respected every decision she'd made um, in her own career. And I, I, I called her one day and said, I'm going to go build the firm that I wish existed for me. And here's what it's going to look like. And literally by the end of the call, she's like, I want to build it with you. Let's do it. Um, so that's how Inspired was born. Um, Penny's taught me lots of things about a lot. One is to try to kind of always just keep it simple, right? Um, the world's going to change a lot up and down, you know, when it's crazy during COVID, we kind of just went into like, let's just focus on the fundamentals. Let's not assume the sky is falling forever um, and kind of see past things. 
But the other thing is she's a comment that I love, which is I'd rather be in bad businesses with good people than good businesses with bad. And just everything is people. Um, and so that, that gives you a flavor uh, of, of everything that we like to, to, to talk about. Gail, for you, obviously, your dad was a really formative figure in, in your life, and, and you probably hear his, his voice in your head a lot. Um, what are some of the things that he taught you, even if it weren't specific, they weren't specific to business, that you think you know, are part of the value set that you bring to, to Call of Power? Um, isn't it interesting how you look back on your life and you can sort of tell the story backwards when I was five years old, he, so he had a store in San Francisco and, um, I used to work the cash register starting at five years old. So, uh, it gave me a really good perch literally, um, from to see him run his, his business. And it's interesting because one of the things that now I can see it, but at the time I didn't realize the imprint it was leaving was um, the relationships that he built with his customers. He knew everyone's name. Something special would come into the store. He would let them know. He would always ask about their families. He, because of he, he was a child of the war, he never went to high school and yet he spoke seven languages. And he would speak those languages to nearly every person who walked in. And he would build these relationships so that even if a bigger or better store came, you know, in the neighborhood, they would still go to him. And what it really taught me and is the importance of relationships in business. And I, in building Collie Power, look, I didn't know about sales. Um, I didn't know about making food at the time, but I knew something about marketing and I knew something about the importance of building relationships. And when, and then when I think back to the early days, and particularly some of the buyers that really took a chance on cauliflower, um, I think they part of what why they did is because you know I was able to you know sell them the dream, and they believed me because we had spent time together and we built these relationships, and um, and it was a really important lesson that I didn't realize I was learning at the time but I would attribute to much of the success of Kali Power. Well, and the fact that you made a better product, Alexa was just uh, singing your praises. You, you have a way for some of our listeners to check it out. Do you want to share that before we, uh, before yes. we move on? Yes, absolutely. So um, everybody wants a free pizza, right? So um, we have a coupon code. So uh, all you have to do is uh, direct message us at Kali Power and use what I think is my new favorite code, what I had to unlearn. So you direct message us at, at Kali Power on any one of our social media channels and we'll send you a coupon good for any free product because we all need a little bit of joy in, in, in our lives these days. It is amazing. And I think that's one of the interesting things that sometimes people forget about disruptors or entrepreneurs is that, yes, you were seeking to solve a specific problem, Gail, but the reason that your product has taken off is because it it's a better mousetrap. It appeals to people who aren't even purchasing it because they're gluten-free or they have celiac. And it's so true of so many of our, our you know, great entrepreneurial companies. At the beginning, you said you, you really were just trying to, again, solve a problem that you saw with really unhealthy gluten-free foods. But did you aspire to create something that would be mass? Um, I did. Uh, I, when I Early on, when I saw the growth potential, I did. And in fact, uh, you know, this is a, a podcast about taking advice and not taking advice and unlearning things. So a lot of the advice that I didn't take, 
uh, that seem to work out pretty well is don't go into Walmart too early. Uh, you know, people really warned me about that. People who've been in the business a lot longer than I am. But the way that I look at it is, you know, I had a pretty good gig in, in corporate America. And if I was going to give all that up, it was going to be to make a difference. And I knew that if I really wanted to make a difference and wanted to, you know, impact people's lives in a positive way and make nutrition accessible to all, I knew I had to be in Walmart. And so um, we launched the company in February of 2017. We were in Walmart by October of that year. And the relationship has has continued to grow. So um, I, I always knew if I was going to do this, I, I was going to try and do it in a big way. And it's delicious, everybody. I'm just, literally, we eat them nonstop in my household from little kids to big kids. Thank you. Thank you. You get a lifetime supply. Alexa, do you, I mean, obviously you are making a difference in your own way now through Inspired Capital, helping create the next generation of, of founders. But is there part of you that has another startup in you? Do you think that that's something that you would pursue again? Yeah, I mean, one of the, so at Inspired, our job is to go find 25 companies every two and a half years that we back and we sit on the board and we get very, very involved. Um, but per fund, we say we get to go and start zero to two. So every two years, um, we may put our hand all the way down to the napkin and help build companies. And actually, um, a company I'm the chairwoman of um, that we started October 1st of 2019, it's called Orum. It's money movement software. Um, it was a problem that we had stared at when we were at LearnVest. And I tapped somebody on my management team and we said, let's go build this. And so I get to scratch all the itches, Stephanie, in such a great way. One, I'm literally building the firm that I wish existed for me when I was a founder because uh, the most important person that gave me advice when I was a founder was a founder who was 25 years older than me, who had built and sold a company for a billion dollars and literally pushed me harder than anybody and had so much empathy for me at the same time. And Gail, I, I, I know this is true that... You're having the time of your life. And at the same time, you've never had more stress at certain times in your whole life. And it really is that, you know, very hard climb. And so, so it inspired not only do we get to go and like truly commit ourselves to founders in a way that is so deeply authentic because we've been them and between the founding team at Inspired, including people like Penny Pritzker, we built and scaled 10 businesses. So this really is the craft. I always joke, I don't have hobbies. I love to build businesses. That's it. And now we get to help founders and do it from the lens of what we always wish existed when we were the founders ourselves. And so that's kind of the grit and empathy we bring. And then yes, Stephanie, every roughly two and a half years, we get to go and we call it an inspiration check. It's truly first money in and we help stand that business up. And oh my gosh, is this the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> Sounds great. Best of both worlds. Um, before I let you both go, I want to ask you to each share some advice for the aspiring founder who's out there who might be sitting in that corporate job, Gail, somebody who just, you know, isn't bringing the passion anymore, has an entrepreneurial idea. What would you tell them and specifically about that mental transfer that you have to make in terms of the corporate mindset to the entrepreneurial mindset? So the day that I left, uh, there was a very senior uh, guy there and um, he, uh, I told him I was leaving and he took me aside in the office and he sort of looked around and he said, um, he looked at me and he said, I have five business plans in my desk. 
this guy had wanted to start a business for so long that he had five business plans that he was about to turn over to his wife because he felt like he couldn't do it and he he didn't know what to do. And it was a really aha moment for me. My heart was breaking because I was doing what he obviously had wanted to do. And I think the message there is, is we all sort of wait for a sign, right? We, we all sort of wait, like, I'm waiting for a sign. I'm waiting for the right moment. I know the right moment is, is, is going to come upon me. Well, it's kind of like having kids. Like, there's never a good time. There's never a good time to start a business. There's never a good time to have kids. There's never, don't wait for a sign because it might never come. And what most people don't know about Kali Power is that I came this close to not starting it. I woke up that morning and thought, I can't do it. I cannot do this. And um, luckily, you know, um, luckily I, I, I flipped the other way, but I did come awfully close. And I, I just want to encourage all those people with a few business plans in their desks to uh, not wait for a sign. Because I think if the pandemic taught us anything, it's what are we waiting for? Because you don't really know what tomorrow might hold. That's a great story. Alexa, same question for you. For the corporate folks out there who are thinking that they might want to, to try their hand at being a founder, what's your best advice? Yeah. So um, when I was undergrad uh, in college, I worked at the, in the happiness lab at, at Harvard uh, with Dan Gilbert. And it was probably one of the best things I've learned in my whole life, where they we would take people, part of one of the studies was to take people that are at the end of their life in their 90s and ask them what they would have changed. And no one ever changes anything they did. Doesn't regret the girl or boy they kissed or what they did or the job, nothing. You always regret the thing you didn't do. You regret the swing. You regret the person you didn't make up with. You know, I've always wanted to start a company and I never did it. And so I always joke to everybody, I'm like, your nine-year-old self should sit on your shoulder. And I do joke that nine-year-old Alexa sits on my shoulder and she is one tough cookie and clear as day will be like, and if it's clear to you, you would regret not doing this, then you have to jump. And then it's really just a matter of, of harnessing the courage to, to go do what you want to. And I'll end by saying, I grew up in a household. My mom um, still works to this day. She's amazing. Um, and she always was like, Alexa, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm now in my thirties and I'm like, mom, it's the exact opposite. If you love what you do, you will literally work every day of your life with no boundaries. <laughs> you will have the most blurry lines and you will take things very personally because you will care so much. And it's just a really great way to live. Yeah, well, I, I'm so grateful to you both for taking some of your precious time to share your pearls of wisdom with the Fast Company audience. This has been so terrific. Check out Call of Power. Send your business plans to Inspired Capital. And, um, and thank you both for your time. This has been really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. You're the best. Yeah, you are. Thank you. Thanks, guys.